Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. We have a little bit to read this morning. I want to rush because we're going to have a little bit of time for worship at the end too. So Numbers chapter 13, starting at verse 1, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So he sends out, he sends, Moses sends out 12 people. They say, oh, nope. They came back to Moses, verse 26. We'll talk about what happens in between that uh, later. But verse 26, fast forward. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land of which you had sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Maybe that was a thing back then, because that doesn't sound too good now. Um, here is the fruit. But Verse 28, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jezebites, Amorites, Budlites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. This morning, hopefully within the next 20-ish minutes, I want to talk to you from the subject, check your giants. Check your giants. Not your, yo, like your mama. Check your giants. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are, for what you're doing, God. Lord, we thank you for this amazing opportunity that we have to just worship you, God, to, to give you praise and give you glory, God. I pray that uh, within the next few moments together, God, that you would transform our lives, that you would change us from the inside out. God, we want to leave here changed. We want to leave here better not for our own benefit, but so that we can change the world around us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. Come on, everyone. Sit. Amen. 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 So one of my favorite dishes in the entire world, or meals, is fish and chips. Oh, I love fish and chips. But I don't like breaded fish and chips. I like the beer-battered fish and chips. Anyone that's a connoisseur of fish and chips, you know breaded fish and chips is not really fish and chips. It's like pretend. It's like fake. You, so I, I'm a fan of, of, of beer-battered fish and chips. And, and this, this addiction, if you will, uh, stemmed from when I was in, uh, in, in high school. There was a restaurant called Coco's Restaurant and Bakery in Santa Rosa. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> and, uh, and every summer they would have a deal for $12.99. You can have all you can eat fish and chips. All you can eat. And so my friends and I, we, we would go to Coco's Restaurant and Bakery, and we would order the fish and chips, and we would just eat. Now, one day, uh, we went there, and because boys are kind of dumb, we were, like, we were like, hey, we should have a contest on who can eat the most fish and chips, specifically the fish. And so we're like, yeah. So we're around the table, and we're just eating. We're, and we're just, we're like at piece 10, and we're just eating. And we're young, so we can do that. And we're eating, and we're eating. And, uh, and, then, and then we get to, uh, we get to, I think we made it to fish like 14 or 15. And we're like, we started just feeling 
the conviction of the Holy Spirit in a tummy ache. <laughs> and, and, and like, we were like, oh my gosh, like, couldn't we just call it a draw? And so we stopped at like 14 and 15. We, we started to head out, the rest, head out of the restaurant. And then all of a sudden, as we were walking out of the restaurant, it was like a scene from The Exorcist, which you guys probably have never seen, right? Because there's a bunch of, uh, of Christians in here. But for those of you that haven't watched it, uh, there's a scene where this little girl just starts throwing up. And we're walking, and all of a sudden in the parking lot, we're like, blah, <laughs> like <laughs> everywhere. It's like fireworks. It's just like nasty. Well, like all in, the, in you get the point. <laughs> and so we're like, we're so sick. And we're just, and we get into the car, and I remember thinking in that moment, I will never eat another fish and chips in my life. And every moment up to, um, every moment after that, I would smell fish and chips and malt vinegar, and I'm like, Whoa. have you guys ever done that? Ate something that like you used to love, and then one bad experience, and then it just, you were like, no way, I'm done. So fast forward, I'm in college. We, I, I, go, I went to college in Dallas, and there was a shuckery, I think that's what they're called, in um, uptown Dallas. And the, this place, it had like the best fish and chips like in the nation. So I'm there with my friends, and, uh, and we're ordering, and they order fish and chips. And I'm like, don't do this. <laughs> like, and they got the fish and chips, and they started eating it. And then they're just like, mmm. You know what I'm saying? Like when people that eat, that enjoy their food, they're just making noises. And they said, they said hey, Peter, because they called me Peter. They're like, Peter, try this. And I'm like, no, you don't want me to try it. They're like, no, 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 seriously, try it. It's the best fish and chips in the entire nation. I'm like, no. And so we're going back and forth eventually because they wouldn't leave me alone. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And I remember getting the piece, taking a bite. Of it, and then all of a sudden, like that love that I had for it just came back, rushed back to me. <laughs> like all, like it was like those cartoons with the memory of like them running slow motion, and you know, like it was like a fish running towards me, and I'm like hugging it. It was crazy, and it wasn't drugs, and <laughs> and and so 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 I'm eating it, and all of a sudden, man, like. I, I, I remember just like how much I love fish and chips. I, I was, and then there was a point where I was like, man, all these years that I, that I just swore off fish and chips was a waste of time because I'm eating it. And I'm like, oh, I love this. I love it. And I'm like, thank you for reminding me how much I love fish and chips. Now, here's why I'm telling you this little story. Is because I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, the season that we are in right now, if it, it, it could allow us to, to um, forget about the reason of which we're in this season, and we could be reminded of why we don't like this season. Let me put it this way. So, so starting last week, it kicked off this season that, uh, that we call Advent. And so for four Sundays, um, it's, it's a celebration. It's called Advent. And, and it goes into the, 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 the day of Christmas. And the word Advent is this Latin word that means coming. 
And, and what this, this, this season of Advent is, it's, it's a reminder of, of the birth of Jesus, that Jesus was coming, that, he, that, he kept, that Jesus came in the past, right? But then it's also a foreshadowing of being excited of the coming of Jesus uh, coming, the second coming of Christ. And so by its very nature, this season of Advent should be a season of hope. Should be a season of joy. That when the season of Advent begins at the end of November, leading us through December, it should be a season where we're rejoicing and we're hopeful because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. And not only that, we're celebrating as believers this idea that Jesus is coming back for his bride. And by its very nature, Advent should be something that we are so excited about. And yet, if we're honest, for a lot of us, that isn't true. In fact, for a lot of us, if we're honest, this season of Advent, rather than it being a season of hope and joy, for a lot of us, this is a season of pain. This is a season of anxiousness. This is a season of heartache and depression. And this is a season that, that was meant to be life-giving. And yet it's become a season of life-draining. Now, before I go any further, I do want to acknowledge this. If you are here this morning, and this season that we're in of the holidays... Leading into Christmas, if you're here and you're like, man, this season, it, it's, it's so hard for me because of A, B, C, whatever it is. If you're here and you would identify as that, I want, to, before I go any further, I want you to understand this is not, this is, my, my heart for this message is not to condemn you. Amen. <laughs> my heart for this message is not, is not to make you to feel bad. But rather, my heart this morning, my job, my mission, what I feel like this morning is to get you to step back. And my heart is to be the person is like pushing that fish and chips in front of you and saying, hey, just give it a try. I know you had a bad experience with it in the past. I know that, that there's some pain associated with this season. But, but here, just, just, just try it again. And so my heart this morning is to encourage you, wherever you're at in this season, to help encourage you to see this season as it is meant to be seen. Now, I actually believe that it was a very brilliant plan of the enemy to have this season be so heavy for so many people. I actually believe that, that it is not by mistake that the very season in which we are celebrating the hope who is in Jesus' birth has been, has been tied into something of, 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 of weightiness, of, of, of heaviness, of sadness. I think it's a brilliant plan by the enemy. Because for so many of us, like, what he has done is he has tied the birth of Jesus. He, he's, excuse me, he's tied a sad situation 
and he's tied it to the birth of Jesus. He's taken something that you've gone through, and he's woven it in with the birth of Jesus. He's taken your hopelessness, and he's crafted it into you and into what should be the hope who is in Jesus. And so my my heart is, is just to, again, to be the person that's like, hey, try it. What if, what, if, what if you and I could see this season through the lens of what it was designed and meant to be? See, I actually think in the story that we read at the very beginning, this is exactly what the enemy did in our story. And so just a quick recap. What we have is God, he talks to Moses, and, he's, and God tells Moses, he's like, hey, Moses, um, I want you to send 12 people into the land that I'm going to give you. And so Moses, he handpicks these 12 people, one from each, from each tribe, and they go to Canaan, the, the land, the promised land in which God has given them. And, and, and they, they get there, and they observe all, all kinds of things. In fact, in that little portion that we skipped over, as they're, as they're um, journeying through this land, there, there's a part where they, they get... Uh, they, they like a cluster of grapes that were so big it took two people. They had to put it on a pole and it took two people. Come on, that's some wine, y'all. Like, <laughs> and and they're, they're having to carry it through. And they're excited about this land. They're, they're excited that it's a, man, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. And they get back to, um, to, to the camp and, and Moses is like, hey, give... Tell us what you saw. What was it like? What did you see? And, uh, and, and 10 of the guys that, that went, they said, they said, man, it was amazing. It was so cool. These grapes. Check out these grapes, Moses. Moses, this land, it, it flowed with milk and honey. It was amazing, Moses. And then, and then they said this. They said, but the people who are in this land are large and powerful. He's like, the land is amazing, but these people, they're large and powerful. And I wonder if you can relate this morning to something that God is trying to bring you to, but there's something in the way because it's large and powerful. And you're like, man, I, I don't know. It's, this is large and powerful. And then all of a sudden, the whole, the, whole, uh, the whole community begins to grumble. They hear the report of these ten people, and they're like, oh, my gosh. They're going to die. Come on, those are your half, uh, glass half empty people. If that's you this morning, we love you. You're welcome here. Um, but those are the people that are like, they're, they're like, ah. In fact, in fact, what we read is that these people, they begin to, this is how crazy they were sounding. They were like, you should have left us in Egypt. It was better being a slave. And they were, they were just, they were all sad and, and they were like, ah. And then all of a sudden, there are two people, Joshua and Caleb. 
who, who had a different response to what they saw, a different, a different, uh, a different mindset. And so, so these 10 people are, are, are complaining, and, and, and Joshua and Caleb, what's interesting to me, this might not be interesting to you, but what's interesting to me is that they walked the same journey. They went to the same place that these 10 went to. They saw the same exact thing that these 10 people saw, but they responded to it differently. So they walked and saw exactly what these 10 people saw and and walked exactly where these 10 people walked, and yet they responded to what they saw and what they experienced completely different. That's huge. Because they're they're looking at it in in a different light. And it got me thinking, like, how you respond is more important than what you see. How you respond is more important than what you go through. Because you can't control what you go through. You can't control what you see. But you can control how you respond. In fact, if you're here this morning and you would identify as a Jesus follower, last time I checked, we don't walk by what we see. We walk by faith. And so what I want us to do in the next remaining moments is I want to give you three reasons based off of what Caleb and Joshua said. Three ways, excuse me, that we can respond better. So whatever you're going through, you can go through it, but hopefully these things help you respond better. Hopefully they help me respond better. Is that good, somebody? All right, let's go through them really quick. The first way... Uh, We're going to be in Numbers chapter 14, 6 through 7. It says this, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of, uh, uh, (laughs) what are they, Korean? I don't know. Um, Focus, John. Who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelites' assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. So number one, first way to help you and I respond better. We got to first become frustrated with how we currently respond. We got to become frustrated with how we currently respond. Now, if you respond to situations and hardships and what you see and what you go through good, hey, this is not for you. You can just until the next point. But if you're like me. And you, and you respond the wrong way when things tank. You and I, we got to become frustrated with how we respond. See, like these people that, that, that once the ten spies told Israel uh, like, how, like what they saw, like I mentioned, everybody was complaining. Oh, we're going to die. We should have gone back to Egypt. Ah. And Caleb and Joshua, they could have very much have just jumped in with everyone and be like, yeah, that's right. Oh, that was horrible. Ah." But they didn't. They didn't. In fact, 
it almost reads that they heard the people complain and they just got so fed up with their whining that they're like, hey, shut up. Like, it's as if they heard them complain and they were so frustrated with him that they had to say something. They had to step out and say, man, stop. This land is good. I know we saw some things that stink, but at the end of the day, the land is good. My question to you this morning is, are you frustrated with how you respond? See, because if you're like me, I love, I love to nurture my negative. I love it. I love being around people that nurture my negative. I love people that, that will take me and they'll listen to my problems. And instead of saying, hey, let's pray, they're like, hey, hey, just tell me more. Here, take this. Here, drink that. It'll be cool. It'll, it'll be okay. Like, I love surrounding myself with people that nurture my negative. But as long as I surround myself with people who like to nurture or who, who like to, to, to just uh, uh, be negative with me and give me the wrong advice, as long as I'm okay with that, I'll never be able to respond correctly. I'll never be able to step out and reach whatever God has for me. Friends, as long as you love to nurture your negative, as long as you love to just, to just reminisce and to sit in whatever you're going through, until you're frustrated with it, we'll just be consumed with everything that, all the negative, all the hardship that was with the P that we're going through. So we're looking at three ways to help you respond better. The first one is I have to be frustrated with how I currently respond. And then we get to verse 8, and it says this. This is, again, Joshua and Caleb um, re replying in their frustration. They say this, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. So the second way that I respond better is I have to learn to build my response based on what God has done in the past. I base my response off of what God has done in the past. Now, this is very interesting to me because he says every, the, the whole premise of God leading his people into the promised land hinges on this one word, if. That's crazy. To, 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 Joshua's like, hey, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will lead us into the promised land. Well, uh, excuse me, Joshua, Caleb, I don't move on if. Uh, I move on a higher probability. You know, 
high 90s. If, if, and it got me thinking, like, how, how did Joshua and Caleb get to that place where they were willing to, to move on if and not on a higher probability, a higher percentage? And I wonder if it's because Joshua and Caleb remember God's faithfulness to them in the past. Like, like I wonder if, if Joshua and Caleb, they were able to respond on if based off of them remembering God bringing them out of Egypt. Like, I wonder if, if they were able to remember or they were able to, to hinge their entire thing off of if God moves. Because they remember that when they were fleeing from Egypt, and they, they, they had to stop because the Red Sea was there, and, and Pharaoh was chasing them. I, I wonder if they remembered how God split the Red Sea. And they were able to go across. See, I have this horrible propensity to move based off of what I'm currently seeing. And my response is always based off of what I'm currently seeing or going through. Rather than what I remember God doing for me in the past. Can I say that, that if you are going through something, that you can build your response, not off of what you're currently going through, but you can build your response based off of what God's done for you in the past. So if God's healed you in the past, my God, why won't he do it again? If God provided for you in the past, why won't he do it again? If God healed your hurt before, why can't he do it again? And so what if I responded off of that? What if I responded off of what God has done for me? What God, what God has done for my life. And so three ways to help you and I respond better. We got to be frustrated with how I currently respond. I got to build my response based on what God has done in the past. And the third and final one, as the band comes up, and I'll read the verse. Verse 9, he goes on, they go on to say, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Oh, I love that. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. I'm going to read that verse again. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Here's the third and final thing. Number three. I have to remember that my response reveals my Lord. My response reveals my Lord. So, so get this, as, as they're situating themselves. They start off, Joshua and Caleb, and that verse we just read, verse 9. They said, uh, they, they, they said, don't be afraid. They started off, don't be afraid. They end it with, don't be afraid. And sandwiched in between is the reason why they shouldn't be afraid. 
They said because their protection is gone and God is with us. Hey, don't be afraid. Hey, don't be afraid. Well, how am I not supposed to be afraid? Because their protection is gone and the Lord is with us. Friends, I want to remind you that in faith, whatever sadness or pain that is associated with you in this season, and this, this, this feeling like, like just in general in life that you can't move forward, I want to encor encourage you. That protection is gone. And God is with us. That, that, that fear doesn't have to be part of what you experience. Depression doesn't have to be part of what you experience. Anxiety doesn't have to be part of what you experience. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The protection is gone and God is with us. Now, he, here's what I've discovered. That what I fear becomes my Lord. What I fear becomes my Lord. That word Lord, what, what, it, what, it, what it means is like, it, it's something that, that, that I place authority over me for. So how many of you guys know that when I allow fear to come over me, it controls me? It controls how I act. It controls how I speak. It controls what I do. And so, so what you fear becomes your Lord. What I fear becomes my Lord. In fact, in fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, uh, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve, you can't have two lords. You, because you're going to be faithful to one and then the other one is going to be like, what about me? You know? And so you can't, we can't have two, two lords, two masters. And then Jesus, he, he says this, he's like, hey, you, you got to choose. You got to choose who's your, who's your Lord, who's your master. And then he, he moves directly into the topic of worry. So he's, it, it's in essence as if he's saying like, hey, choose wisely because what you choose can lead you to this over here. And so this morning, I want us to know that fear will always have you compete for your lordship. And so we have to decide, I won't be afraid. I won't be afraid. And in the middle, who am I empowering? Am I empowering the enemy or am I empowering God? Like, who, who's my Lord? John, I know you're saying, John, like, that's so hard. I know. <laughs> Be encouraged. But my heart this morning again, that we would see the purity of this season. of what, and, and whatever pain has caused you to see this season more of pain and despair, 
my hope is that you would be able to see it in its truest form. The hope who is Jesus, our Lord. Amen, somebody?